Hi, I'm Farnam Javadi, host of Coding World Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to interview programmers from all over the world. To be able to know the conditions and challenges of programming in different countries. Hello everyone, welcome to the episode 2 of the Coding World Podcast. The guest of this part of the podcast is Mr. Veria from the beautiful city of Toronto. Hi Mr. Veria, how are you? Hello. I'm great, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Before we begin, I would like to introduce Mr. Amir Hosseini Gorbanosini, the sponsor of this episode of the Coding World Podcast. So, uh, first of all, I want to ask you some questions about uh, programming, but I I want first, I want to know our listeners, uh, know you well. So, can you explain about yourself? Sure, sure. Uh, my name is Veria, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be here today with you. Thank you very much for putting together this opportunity. Um, good luck with your podcast. You're on a very um, you. special and great path, and I hope you succeed. Uh, my name is Veria. I'm a data scientist with a telecom company here in Toronto, in Canada. Um, my studies were in electrical and computer engineering. Um, I, I did my bachelor and master back in Iran, and I did my PhD here in the same, um, in the same field of electrical and computer engineering. Um, I graduated in 2015, uh, but I didn't wait, obviously, to be graduated. I had started working from 2013. I started from data-related jobs like data analyst, um, data architect. And then I moved into the big data environment. Um, I was working with a big data team, um, reporting, databases, architecture uh, for a few years. And then I slowly moved towards machine learning. Um, I started as a machine learning engineer in my current company in 2018. And I've been working as a data scientist uh, for the past year. I also love teaching. Um, I teach two courses, um, one course, which is introduction to programming using C. Um, I teach that in a college and I also teach a second course called, uh, cloud technologies for big data and AI at the university of Toronto. Uh, and that's part of what I do. So daytime, I'm a data scientist, um, in the evenings, I'm a teacher. So good to have you here and, uh, Nice to meet you again. Um, let's start with first question. What was the reason you want to be a programmer? What, uh, why another job? Why programming? Uh, for example, you can be a um, good electric engineer or other um, fields of working or jobs, but why programming? That's a very good question. And it probably relates um, to my um, young age, I guess. When I was in, I think grade, not even grade 10, I think I was in grade eight, when computers as gaming console had just started emerging, my father bought me something 
that <laughs> it's an ancient piece of technology now, but it was called Commodore 64. It was a very old machine and it was regularly used as a gaming console. But with that device came a little book in Persian that would just describe how you can program for that machine. That machine had a, a very early version of basic language so with it. So I started reading that book and I started programming with that machine. So while everyone used that machine for fancy games and very good, like it had like four audio channels, so every game had a lot of good music with it. I started looking into programming and what are loops and what are variables and I don't know, how can I calculate prime numbers with it or how can I, it, it, it started very early for me. So when I got into university, although I was doing my bachelor's in electrical, electrical engineering, um, and believe it or not, that's 26 years ago when I entered university, that's that's probably long, long older than you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a very long time ago. <laughs> um, while I was, you know, taking all my courses seriously, I, I loved my programming courses. I started with learning Pascal at the time. Pascal was the language which was the introductory language. And then the second semester, I took C. And, you know, everybody was talking about how difficult C is. Yeah. But I learned C and it was not that difficult. So next course, object-oriented programming with C. And I, I was completely caught by programming. Um, for example, I love doing graphics with, um, with programming. While the courses we were doing did not require us to go into graphics at all, you could do everything in a text environment, I was interested. So I would bring in graphical elements to my projects just to make them more fancy. Sometimes my teachers were not happy about it. Like, we're not going to give you more marks for, you know, making it look fancy. But you're making um, like look like good and really nice. What? <laughs> exactly. Giving you the graphic user interface, right? Yeah. Just because I wanted to explore, I wanted to show off obviously a little bit. And then eventually, um, when you were a student in electrical engineering, you have to be a good programmer as well, because you have to use a lot of programming to solve, you know, your um, your own fields um, problems. So it was inevitable. In general, it's inevitable for a pro, uh, for an electrical engineering to to learn a little bit of programming, not much, but you know, the basics, and then being able to use uh, softwares like MATLAB, for example, or simulators. But given my background and my uh, passion towards programming, I took it far, far more than what was required. So good. And then, you know, after I graduated and I started working in the market as an engineer, I would always do programming projects as a freelance agent, you know. Yeah. Uh, here well, and there, I would hear someone is looking for a code like this or like that. I would just take it on. Uh, maybe later on, I'll tell you some of the projects that I did early on when I was probably... Um, 23, 24 years old. It will old. be great. I'll be happy to hear them. Sure, sure. We'll, we'll chat about them. I just don't want to, you know, don't want to stop you from asking your other questions, but we will talk yeah. about them for sure. Yeah, we can uh, we can talk about another episode or another platform too. Sure. So our first question is, uh, why did you choose this field of programming? Or you can choose um, to be a, for example, iOS developer or 
another field of programming why this uh, machine learning and ai stuff that's a very good question when i was doing my phd at the university of toronto um a few of my friends and a few of um, the Persian students at the University of Toronto. And the U University of Toronto has a lot of very, very good Persian students. It has a lot of Persian professors as well, but a lot of good Persian students. Um, some of my friends had started taking interest in data science. And they would go take courses from the computer science department. And whenever we would you know, get together, they would passionately talk about all oh, this course and this approach and we are doing crazy stuff. So I remember that I was getting interested into what these guys are talking about. Unfortunately, at the time, I was too busy with my thesis and with my responsibilities as a PhD student. I could never go attend those classes with them um, or seriously take a look at machine learning. And machine learning was not that famous at the time. And this is this is 2013, 2012, yeah. even before that I'm talking about. But after I graduated um, and I started working at the telecommunication company here in Toronto, a few years later, they started building a machine learning. Well, they, they didn't call it machine learning. They called it a data science group, which I was not part of. I was in the big data team, but we, you know, we would be in contact and I would talk to people who had studied machine learning in their masters and they were doing crazy things, very, very cool things. So and you while want, I was you want to be like them and do this types of write this types of programs and do these things too. And I started thinking about it. I was like, when I heard about this, like it was six years ago, five years ago, and I didn't go that that route. Maybe I should look into it. So when I had a little time, I just started studying about it. So yeah, this was 2013, 14, even before that, um, that, you know, they were taking courses in, in subjects related to data science. And then they would come back and, you know, we speak together and they would passionately talk about this course. Oh, this course is great. Data science is picking up. But I, you know, I was a PhD student. I were, I was really, really busy doing my thesis and writing papers and stuff so i never got a chance to go attend those classes with them much there was this course for example called um inference that you know my, my friends would take and would benefit from a few years later when i started working um as a data architect with a big data team in another telecommunication company that company started building a data science team and then I was not part of that team, but we, I would, you know, work with them. And eventually I got interested. So I said, I should learn this. This, this looks really fun. So I started taking courses, taking online courses, looking at the available resources, reading books, looking at YouTube. I started teaching myself what this is all about. And one reason that I think really, really helped was the fact that because of um, my work as a data architect with the big data team, I was very, very comfortable with analyzing data. I was really good at it. Processing data, manipulating, transforming, um, reporting. And then when data science um, showed up and I started learning about it, it just became like a cherry on top. It really complemented 
what I was able to do and I, what I knew. So I loved it. And then I, you know, left my job um, as a data architect and joined another team as a machine learning engineer, where I started working um, by, by developing my data scientist friends models. So, so that's, that's how I transitioned from, from all other sorts of, I, I've done a lot of work in databases, data architecture, reporting, transformation, but eventually I ended up as a data scientist. So it looks like you have a really good and nice uh, way to become a data scientist. And uh, I really enjoyed listening it too. Uh, hope you have better. Uh, Appreciate good, it. <laughs> hope you have better and the best knowledge of this field. And it, in every time uh, you can learn more things too. So Definitely. No, appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I got lucky with it. Uh, so with forward question, we have, was it difficult for you to learn programming and reach that acceptable level? So I heard in these days, I hear a lot of people saying that, uh, for example, machine learning or data scientists or this AI stuff is really hard and not everyone can learn it or it really needs a good mathematics and this type of things. What is your opinion and how this way looks for you? I love mathematics and mathematics was one of my strong points um, in all my studies in high school, um, as a bachelor's student, as a master's student. So I can hardly speak for someone who doesn't like mathematics or, or thinks that they're not good at mathematics. My belief is that mathematics in general is not hard to learn. It's actually been proven that math learning mathematics and being good at mathematics does not need a very high IQ. It's a myth. It's a hoax that you think, oh, I'm not smart enough for mathematics. So that's one point to set aside. Mathematics is nothing special that needs like very clever people or you know high intelligence. It's no. exercise. No, and it's subject. Need exercise. You need to exercise. You need to study just like everything else. Like, is there any science that you can learn well without practicing, without reading through, without, you know, spending time on it. So same as mathematics. The fact is that the basis of data science is statistics. And statistics is part of mathematics. So data science is built on top of mathematics. If you know the math, you know the subject much better because you know the basics and then you can, you know, build and go up. If you don't know mathematics or you don't like to learn or whatever, you run away from it, then data science becomes just a tool that you can use, a tool that someone else has prepared, a tool that someone else has perfected, and then you're just a user of that tool without understanding that how that tool actually works. So you exactly. can never make that tool better. You can never help and contribute to it. I wouldn't recommend this approach, but it's not impossible. You can become a superficial machine learning algorithm user, I should say, not even an engineer. But given you know how basic the mathematics can start from, if you're really into it, if you're really into you know becoming a data scientist and being good at it, 
it's a little bit of mathematics, like beside all the other programming things you have to learn, right? Yeah. You have to learn Python. You have to learn like, like studying and learning and getting good at one library in Python, like like NumPy, for example, or Pandas. You can spend the same time learning about the mathematics behind it, and that would be good enough. So I don't think it's very difficult. I think it's a good idea to to spend exactly the way that you spend time on the programming and the and the Python piece of it, you can spend time with the mathematics of it and get good at it. Uh, I don't know other countries, but in this, in my country, in, uh, all young you know, young people and they who want to you know, be a you know, AI engineer or data scientist, they just uh, they just the biggest fear is mathematics and oh my god, how to study these hard uh, mathematics and how to pass these tests. Um, is this is this really hard problems you you are solving in these um, programs with mathematics? So you you really don't solve mathematic problems, but the basic of the algorithms that you use it depends on mathematics. is mathematics. The base is mathematics. So for example, if you're working on an algorithm, and it's acting weirdly, if you know the math behind it you have a good chance of understanding why it's not working well for you, what is going wrong. And, and if you have no idea about the mathematics behind it, chances are you get confused easily. Like, why is this happening? I have no clue. Well, you don't have a clue because you don't know what is happening inside that box, inside that library. So knowing what is happening gives you a very good insight. And no, we're not solving mathematics. I'm, I'm never going to, you know, pick a piece yeah. of paper and write down a mathematic um, question and solve it. Well, once in a while, my dad sends me a difficult mathematic question <laughs> um, and I have to work on it. But as in my job, I don't do that. But whenever I'm working on a model and the model is not working properly or needs improvement, the fact that I know how this model actually works, what's the math behind it, really, really helps me debug it or improve it. That's that's where we use the math we know. Yeah, I get. I think all users you know, get the point of mathematics in data science, uh, data uh, data science and uh, big data or machine machine learning and these type things. Uh, let's move on. Next question. Uh, was it the average income of programming in your country uh, you are working, and is it in, is is this income? cover your enough to cover your living expenses or not um the range is is really a big range depending of how junior or senior you are is it the first time you're getting a job as a programmer or you've been working and you've had like a, a, a number of years of experience so it's it's a wide range but in in both it its ends, even in the lower end of this range, the, the numbers are good to run a living. Yes. Yes. Well, obviously, the more you earn, you will have a more luxurious life. Yeah. But it's not like if you are a junior programmer, then you have to go drive a taxi, for example, in the evenings to, to make ends meet. Yeah, drive, it's still a good income. Drive Uber. Um, and 
via Uber. Or, for example, do Uber, right? Yeah. yeah, if you have a part-time job and you're studying at the same time and you can only work like 10 hours a week, then, yeah, you probably need a second job. But a full-time programmer, if you're good at what you do, um, web developer, iOS, for example, or Android development, or database and architecture, um, all of these can, can make very good incomes. It can range from a junior um, level of around $60,000, $70,000 to more senior levels and more um, like with, with, a, with a more narrow and specific niche of programming all the way up to $200,000 and even above, depending on what you do, how much your skill is scarce, how many years of experience do you have, which big companies you've worked on. And then if you look at the money um, that, you know, the bigger companies in tech are paying, like, like Facebook or Google or Amazon, the numbers are really high. The numbers can go up to $600,000, for example, in level six of, um, you know, leading an, a team, for example. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very wide range. And then depending on how much, how much, first of all, how much hardworking you are and how much years of experience, yes. successful experience you have, you can obviously move up in this range and get a very, very, very good life for yourself. Yeah. One more thing before, before we finish this. Yeah, just good. One special thing about programming is it's always on demand. Like look at the pandemic in the past two years. A lot of people have lost their jobs because they, their jobs couldn't be done remotely. Yeah. Programmers were among the luckiest. We could just sit home and, you know, do our job and even get paid better just, than before pandemic. Just a, a laptop and done. everything is okay. And you can that's it. make money. You need a good, good internet and then you need a laptop and then that, that's it. So there are a lot of, re it's not just the money. It's the, the safety of the job, the demand for the job, the diversity and variety of this job and how fast it's growing all over the world. It makes it a very attractive career. Yeah. Mm, it's a really good explanation. I really appreciated your uh, this. My pleasure. My pleasure, Fanonja. Uh, now, one next question. Is finding a job with a good income or in good company in country you are working difficult or easy? It's not difficult. And the reason is there are a lot of good tools for it. The biggest one and the most important one these days is LinkedIn. Yeah. If you know how to have an efficient and well-prepared LinkedIn, and then you're good at your job, you know programming, you know something good, you're, you're a good iOS programmer or web developer or a data scientist or a machine learning engineer, and then you have properly presented yourself in a good environment and tool like LinkedIn, it's not difficult. It's not difficult. I get reached out by recruiters on LinkedIn every week, almost without an exception. Every week, I have one or two or three people emailing me and saying, hey, this is this position. I looked at your profile. You look like a good fit. Do you want to talk about it? And it's just because I have tried I don't have the best LinkedIn page. No, I don't claim that. But I have a decent LinkedIn page where people can take a look at my profile and understand what I do and I understand my background and I understand 
my previous jobs, and then they can judge and decide if I'm good for this position or not. So if yeah. you do it right, it's not difficult, not for a programmer. Yeah, uh, so you have to make your uh, CV look uh, good. And I think uh, we have to explain uh, all things that we uh, we are doing uh, at the com company or we, we did it. So you have, yeah, you have, you have two places to, to sell yourself or to represent yourself. A two-page resume and a big 10-page or 20-page or 30-page LinkedIn where you, you have more space to elaborate about what you've done. And LinkedIn is important because even people who you have not given their resume can still find you on LinkedIn. It's like an electronic CV people... or... Exactly. And it's a place... Where you have a where you have a you have a presence, people who are looking for you can go search for specific skills or keywords, and then you will show up in their list, and then they can reach out to you, and then they can ask for your resume, and then you will send them that good two-page effective resume that is a good gist and condensed version of your LinkedIn. Whenever they need more information, they will go to your LinkedIn. Whenever they just want to quickly look at what your capabilities are. They look at your CV. So yeah, CV is also important. Yeah, uh, your resume is also important. Yeah, I get uh, what you uh, want to say about this importance about LinkedIn and uh, resumes. So moving on, let, no, uh, next question: What are the challenges of learning programming in Canada? Well, there are a few that I can think of. First of all, you have two, two ways of entering the market um, through studies. One way is going to a university. The other way is going to a college. I, study at the, I studied at the university, but I'm also teaching at a college, and I'm teaching at the university at the same time. So I see the differences. Universities obviously take longer, four years for a bachelor, another two years for a master. You learn a lot of things. Not all of them are related to what you will be doing as a job. Yeah. But then they prepare you for, obviously, higher higher pays for what you do. Like with a master's, you obviously get, get a better pay compared to with a college certificate. College certificates are shorter and very um, pointed. You only learn what you actually need for that field of work. So they're faster in getting you from where you are into the market and doing what you do. But then you don't get a bachelor or you don't get a master. So you will not get senior jobs right away, but you can always get in and work your way up and get, gain more experience and become more expertise. So, you know, right there, the challenge is where, what should I do? Should I go to the university, spend four years, learn a lot of stuff, including programming, um, You know, some jobs really need you to have a bachelor or even a master. Yeah. Or do I have less time? I already have a bachelor. Maybe, you know, I just want to take a couple of courses or five, six courses, get a one-year certificate or a two-year certificate and jump into the market faster. And another point in Canada is you pay for your studies. You know, universities and colleges are not free in Canada. So it's like an investment. You spend a good amount of money studying um, you get the, uh, both you get... in college and university. Yeah. And then that, that, that investment has to pay off later on when you get your job. So it's, it's not free to study and then 
you know, the, the, the money you pay has its own consequences. Yeah. yeah. And the last one is competition. There's a lot of competition. If you are a so-so person, not, you know, working hard, not studying a lot, you know, trying to get by, you won't be successful. There are a lot of people like yourself, smart, young, determined, hardworking, that will easily steal all the jobs from you if you're not into your what you do. If you're not passionate about it, if you're not serious about it, you can easily lose the market to people who are more determined than you. Yes. Uh, so can you, you know, can you just explain us you know, what is the big, biggest difference between uh, the university uh, between university and college? We, we know that the, in college you you just study in the one field, but in university you know you, know, you learn many other things. But is is another is a person needs to go to university to you know, have a good job or have a better life? Or is or uh, sorry or Or this is for you know just depends on programming so first of all if you look at people in programming that are getting good money because they're working very well because they know their stuff very well you find that not all of them have have degrees in programming yeah i worked with a gentleman he had a degree in history He had history, not history. even engineering, not even history. He had switched in terms of career switch, not going, studying, taking. He had switched self-studying to programming. He probably got a one-year certificate and he was a senior data architect. And he was one of the best people in terms of data architecture that had ever worked with. So Maybe this, this doesn't happen a lot in Iran, but in here, when you look at people are, that are really, really successful and get good money and they're very good at their job, when you look at their backgrounds, not all of them have bachelors and masters and PhDs. Yeah. No, at least Canada is not like that. A good number of them might, but there are a lot of people that were capable, were serious in you know, learning and promoting themselves, uh, were hardworking, And even if they studied something else, or even if they didn't study much, but when they got to work, they started learning, they started studying self-studies, certificates, teaching, learning here and there, and then they promoted themselves. So you can still be successful if you don't have a master's from University of X and Y, but you're good at your work and you, you know, go learn whatever you need to learn, and then you take courses on your own time and you're a hardworking person, you still can become a very good um, expertise in your field and be paid very well. Yeah, thank you for good, uh, this good explanation. Always in my mind, I have the, this big question, what is the biggest difference between college and university? And that helps me a lot. Yeah, yeah college is short. They don't give you a bachelor's degree or master's degree. They, go, they give you a certificate. You can get a certificate in you know, programming in one year or two versus, you know, in bachelor's, you have to take a lot of courses, four years of your time, um, take a lot of courses that are not exactly in programming. You have to have electives, other fields. But then as a bachelor, you, for example, can go for a master's. Yeah. Someone that has a college certificate cannot easily go get a master's. So it depends on where in, in life you are. Are you up for four years of studying? 
and maybe another year and a half after to get a master's or you just want to jump on a job as soon as as soon as possible just yeah. go learn something in one year and start working with it yeah i get it thank you for this good explanation i really appreciate it my pleasure so let's move on our next question why did you decide to immigrate oh that's a very very difficult question <laughs> How can I start? <laughs> I came to a, a, a situation in my life and I was, I was 28 years old. So I, I didn't, for example, decide to immigrate right after my master's or right after my bachelor's when I was 22 or 24 years old. No. Um, I worked several years in Iran. But at some point, I got to a situation where I thought, I'm not going to be happy living this life with all these obstacles that are not technical obstacles that are not relevant obstacles things that are out of my control things that are slowing down my progress no matter how passionate I, I am with what i do no matter how determined i am with what i do there are things that are stopping me from spending time on what i need to do and what i love to do and when that happened and again this didn't happen when i was 18 or 22 or 24 i could definitely definitely immigrate after my bachelor's i got my bachelor's with honors i had a very high gpa i graduated from one of the best universities in iran so i could easily get an admission from a university here in canada or or united states right after my bachelor's yeah that was not what i wanted to do i wanted to stay and work and study and you know have a job and put put together a career and i did that for several years but at some point, it didn't look possible for me anymore to stay. And I said, okay, I did my best. I put all my efforts in, in staying. A lot of my friends, like three quarters of my classmates, left the country after our bachelors. They had all mm -hmm. these opportunities and they took it. Most of them came to United States, some of them in Canada, some of them in Europe. A, a, a small number of us stayed. Um, and, you know... I, I did my best. I tried. But then at some point it looked like it's it's impossible to move on like this anymore. So I, I thought I would try um, another route and that route was immigration. So is it really, uh, for example, in first days of uh, as an immigrated uh, person, is it really hard for you to uh, live and make money or just make it good life it all depends on it all depends on what program do you immigrate with it, it really depends for example you can come here as a student so as a student you either are self-funded it means that you come here with money because yeah. as i told you studying here is expensive so if you're paying for yourself you have to have enough money to pay to the university for tuition and to also study 
and to also live, pay the more, pay, pay the bills, you know, pay for groceries, pay for a house. On the other hand, you might come here, fund it. It means that, for example, I was funded as a PhD student. It means that my professor had a project with the industry, a project that was funded by the industry, and my professor found me useful in that project. So told me, if you want to study PhD with me, good. You can come here, work on this project, and then I will pay you. Yeah. And the money that I pay you will pay for your tuition and will pay a little bit for your life. You will not have a luxury life. I couldn't have, I couldn't rent an apartment for myself. I had to share. I couldn't afford a car. I had to take the bus. So they don't give you a lot of money like have a luxury life. But at least, you know, they pay your tuition and they pay you enough money to, to live a, nor, a minimal life. Yeah. So that's if you come as a student. Some people, and then, so two, two, two cases. Self-funded, you bring your own money. Funded, you know, someone has given you a job as a research associate to work on their project. Yeah. Some people are skilled workers. They have worked on a specific field. They are so good at it that they can come to Canada, for example, with a job offer. It's yeah. not easy to get a job offer here. It means that you're so good at your work that the Canadian company wants to hire you yeah. and not ev anyone else in Canada. Then you come here and you have, you know, income from day one. Exactly. Sometimes, you know, you apply for a permanent resident um, status. You, you get it after years of submitting documents and everything. And then you come here and then you have to look for a job. Yeah. It means that you have to bring some money so that for the time that you're looking for a job, you can support yourself. Yes. So how, how life goes really, really depends on what, what program do you choose to come to a, a country like Canada? Are you a student? Are you a student, you know, that a professor has given you a job already and you have income or you're a student who has to pay for his or her own expenses? Did you, did you, are you coming with a job offer? Which means that from day one, you have a job. Yeah. which means that you have money, you have, you know, you can build a minimal life or you have to bring some money to support yourself while looking for a job. It all depends on the program. Yeah. Thank you for this good explanation. Actually, My pleasure. Uh, our questions just ended and I really enjoyed it, uh, talking awesome. to you and interviewing you. Hope you ha uh, hope we can Same here. Making, uh, make the episode uh, other, another episode with each other so sure Farnam John I will I will be delighted I would love to and thank you very much for this opportunity thank you for what you do and looking forward to you know hearing what you do with this episode thank you so thank you very much thank you very much